Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, a show about business and some of the best beverages on the planet. Uh, the goal of this podcast, once again, is to create leverage and learn about how to get from where we are to where we want to go, where we will hear stories and talk about strategies in the process of building, growing, and actualizing a business while sipping on some of our favorite beverages. I'm Greg Sobosinski. On the show today, we have Rob Romarino of Century Equipment. Rob, how are you? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we I don't know too much about your business, but I, um, I'm here today to dive in, to learn more about it. Um, so if you could, maybe give the people a brief introduction into um, what it is that you do at uh, Century Equipment. So we are a distributor of frozen dessert equipment. So hmm. essentially anything that you can freeze and eat or drink, we sell equipment for it. Uh, we handle the sales, the service, the consultation of the Electrofreeze brand of equipment. We've been doing it since 1981. I'm a second generation owner uh, and operator. So we are family owned and family operated. We take a lot of pride in that. And in the end, uh, we really help the uh, businesses, small and large, incorporate or build their business around the frozen dessert concept. Yeah. So we're, we're in August 3rd right now. So I'm guessing this is your, uh, this is your heyday. Yeah. Tis the season. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, in dessert equipment, this is actually a very uh, timely episode. Our our last guest on the podcast, uh, Pee Wee's Ice Cream, is actually a ice cream shop down the street. So this is kind of a very uh, yeah, it's um, good transition. Good good transition here. Um, so maybe let's rewind the clock a little bit and um, talk about your background a little bit. How how did you get into this field? I know you said it's a family business, so it seems like you were in it from from the from the early days. Um, but maybe just talk about your early experiences, maybe in other jobs and how that transition happened into this world. So I, I graduated college. I, I graduated from Rowan university oh, in, yeah, nice. in 2001 uh, with marketing and advertising degree and had no aspiration to go into the family business, e even though I kind of grew up in it through osmosis. Why, why was that? I, I can't tell you. I, I don't know. I just, I felt like I wanted to do my own thing hmm. and really never, had any desire to work at Century. Uh, I I had some, I spent a lot of time in ice cream stores as a kid and even worked in some ice cream stores as a kid, but never really transitioned to the family business, got out of school. Um, I, I, like I said, I got a, a degree in marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that transition to corporate finance, as you know, everybody that takes that road, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just ended up there mm -hmm. and uh, worked in corporate finance for about five years. And was doing well, got promoted, and it was a big, it was a big company, thousands of employees. And I realized about five, six years in, after I was promoted, that I can't see myself doing this in hmm. in 15, 20 years. Maybe to, that's really interesting because I think uh, some people will go large lengths of time without realizing that. But it yeah. seems like for you, you realized it pretty early on. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I can remember pretty vividly. I was sitting in a meeting one day where uh, after I had got uh, a, to another rung on the ladder where, you know, when you're young and you get out of school, mm -hmm. you think that's what you want to do. And I looked around the room and I mean, the one person I was sitting next to was being fired the next day. They didn't know it. The, the, the mm -hmm. other person was had all these health issues. Sure. My, the, 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 the one supervisor was just, just not a nice person. Um, mm -hmm. And I said, you know, well, I, this is who I aspire to be. Like, this is the future that I'm going for. Hmm. Uh, so at that point, I looked at the opportunity, the family business. And I took a week off work. And my father and my uncle had started Century back in 1981. So at this point, it's probably the mid-2000s. 
And I said, look, I'm, I'm, I know you've never really pushed me to come here. My uncle did, my dad did. Uh, but I want to look at it if there's an opportunity for me, but I wanted to do it the right way. So I took a week off work. I worked at Century for a week, uh, looked at what the opportunities would be, what the company was like. I went from managing a team of 15, 20 people where I worked. Mm -hmm. Century only had 12 people in the, <laughs> in the right. whole company. So it was, it was certainly a culture shock as I went there. And then at the end of the week, I said, I want to do this. You know, I, 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 I looked at the corporate world and I realized that, you know, if I have to take one step back to take 20 steps forward, that's hmm. something I want to do. And working in that environment and then transitioning to the family business was probably one of the best things I ever did. Cause I realized that the grass wasn't going to be greener. You know, if I think if I would have came right from school uh, to the family business, I would have always had one eye on, Hey, you know, one, could I have made it on my own or right. two is, is the corporate world something that I would have enjoyed better. And I know both of those things, you know, yeah, I could do anything I want on my own, but at the same time, the corporate world was not better. This was better. Yeah. That week, it seems like that week had a pretty big impact on you. Is there something about that week that you remember and that kind of flicked that switch in your head? Where you were like, "Hey, I was in corporate mode. I want to try this out. See what this is like." And like, what really solidified it for you in that in that week? I think the freedom of having the ability to make changes hmm. and make decisions. You know, the bigger the company you work for, the harder it is to turn that. That I know it's quite. It's like turning a cruise ship. When a cruise ship has to turn around, right, it can yeah. take hours. Where if I'm driving a speedboat and I need to change directions, I can it's do it in a couple yeah. of seconds. And that's really the big difference. And when you're when you're young and you think you know it all, you you work in this corporate environment. Like, why are they doing it this way? Why are they doing it that way? I, you know, and you don't necessarily know better, but you think you do. Um, but not having the freedom to make any impact or any changes is is, is not something that hmm. really sat well with me. Then when I got to Century, I realized that even though I I entered as low person on the totem pole, I still had input, hmm. and I still can make a difference. And obviously, uh even though the family heritage didn't mean much to me growing up, as far as like, I want to get into this business. I always took pride in the fact that, you know, my father and my uncle had owned a business and started it from scratch. And then working in there for that week, it really started to kind of grab hold and say, Hey, this is something, this is a legacy that I can take and run with. Yeah. So the, the relationship then I guess with, with the type of work. So these frozen beverage machines that, that you're working with, um, what was that relationship like initially? Like, I know there's there's one thing in moving to a job where you have more agency, more control, more ability to create impact, um, but that could be within any industry. So, how did the what you were doing itself translate to you at the, at that time? The, the the equipment we sell is very important to the success of our customers. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are dessert shops, and a lot of our shops, the ice cream machine is the centerpiece of their business. So. That we're a very important cog in their wheel. Mm -hmm. uh, so we take that very seriously. Uh, so understanding that, you know, what we sell, what we provide the help, the support, the consultation really can directly lead to somebody's success. You know, somebody providing for their family, somebody providing for themselves. I mean, I take tremendous pride in that. It's very important. Um, and sometimes it's scary, you know, because people mm -hmm. put a lot of eggs in our basket, but in the beginning, when you don't have the confidence and you're just starting out in the business, you're kind of in, uh, in a little bit all inspired by it. You know, you're kind of looking at 
at the key people in the company who have been doing it for years and say, wow, look at the way they do it. And, and look at the, um, how the customers look up to them. And, and, um, and then you learn the whys and then you become that side. And it's really, mm -hmm. really, really cool. Um, like I said, I take per a lot of pride in the impact we have with our customers and on our customers. And I take a lot of pride in the legacy of the family business. Mm -hmm. It's, I, we are a family businesses and a lot of the ice cream stores and dessert shops that we sell to are family businesses themselves. So it's a very, it's a very big, small community. Yeah. I, I like the family business aspect. I want to uh, come back to that in a second, but um, as far as the services that you provide, so let, let's just clarify this a little bit for me. So you guys um, sell the equipment to these shops. Mm -hmm. You also do uh, the maintenance and it sounds like there's other types of, uh, you know, um, instructional stuff that you guys do as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So I think I mentioned earlier, our success is our customer success. I, I can't just drop them off a machine and wish them luck. Mm -hmm. right? I, we have we help with layout and design. Well, we do computer scale drawings. Oh wow! We yeah. we work with their contractors so they understand the the importance of some of the plumbing and electrical requirements. Uh, we do menu architecture. We design their menu from a from a, uh, a conceptual standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from a pricing standpoint. Um, we do hands-on training. We teach people how to make ice cream, how to make Italian ice, how to make gelato, whatever the key products in their in their store sure. are. Um, we do employee training. We help them with business consultation. You know, a lot of people come to us and they, they want to do something, but they don't know what that something is. Hmm. So we kind of help flush out their ideas and their vision into a reality. And all of it's predicated on equipment. Uh, the the value-added stuff that we provide, there's a couple of reasons we do it. it it's we don't succeed unless they succeed. And, and, you know, that sounds virtuous, but it's a little self-serving because these machines that we sell last 15, 20 years. So if somebody buys just one and that's all they buy, we don't maximize the potential of that customer. Sure. Yeah. Um, we need customers to grow, whether it's with one store and multiple pieces of equipment or mm. grow into a franchise or, or multi-unit operator. So helping them get to that point is advantageous to both them and us. So um, as far as this, this broad array of services that you offer in addition to the equipment, mm -hmm. um, is that something that was always done at, at Century or is that something that was kind of added over over the years? I think we kind of evolved into it. You yeah. know, by the time I got there, we did a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing it a little differently nowadays, Sure. Um, but we did a lot of it. Years and years ago, we used to sell refrigerators and freezers oh. and, and everything in the sun um, in addition to the electric-free stuff. Mm -hmm. But we got rid of that years ago because... It, it, that's not who we were. You know, mm. refrigerators are commodity. You can buy one from anybody. You can go to Home Depot and get one. An ice cream machine is different. It's specialized. It's obviously important. Um, they're not commodities. They're not all created equal. Brands have specific advantages in how they create product. And that product is what your customers consume. So if the product's better out of one machine, you know, you're going to get more customers that want to consume it. So, yeah. you know, we got rid of a lot of those other things. And then doing that, it gave us the freedom and the time to add that consultative aspects to our business. And at that point, we really just started to flourish because the relationships that we created with customers and with vendors and in the market as experts in the industry um, just skyrocketed. Yeah. And it seems like it's one of those industries where you, you really have to be aligned because if you're, if you're not, if you kind of let that relationship um, stray a little bit and you're not, not there constantly checking in or seeing what else you can do to help them, then it's one of those things where, hey, we might go somewhere else. And that's that's the, the biggest thing. You need to keep those clients. You got to keep them happy. You got to keep them happy. You got to show them what they can do so they can grow their business, and which, which then helps you as well. Yeah, we don't have much competition. 
right? Mm-hmm. We're not cars where you can buy 35 different brands of cars, but sure. we do have competition. And as I mentioned, the machines last a very long time. So if we lose a customer and they buy our competitor, technically speaking, they won't need a, a machine for yeah. 15 years <laughs> sure, um, unless they grow. But uh, when we get a customer, we can't take advantage of that either. You know, we can't say, well, hmm. they bought from us, so good luck. No, we we have to help continue to help that customer. Uh, it's it's I, I I constantly repeat it, even even to the new people that come with us. It, we are in the relationship business. We're in the customer creation business. Whether they buy a new machine, a, a reconditioned machine, they buy something off the internet, and it just happens to be our brand, and they call us for service. Um, we have to create success within our customer base. Um, and that's very, very important. And that's what gives us longevity. You know, I, a lot of people are in the short game and, and we've always been in the long game. Have you found that hard to instill in people? Like it, when, when you break it down, I think you're correct. I think a lot of businesses are relationship oriented. Like you, it, it's kind of unbelievable how how far you can get with, with just a relationship with somebody, whether that be a client, whether that be a strategic partner or whoever that is. Um, do you think that in the general landscape of, of businesses these days, kind of across all industries, do you think that's something that's overlooked is the relationship aspect? 100%, yes. Um, the The world is becoming a instant gratification, mm-hmm. right? Everything's instant gratification. You know, when I was a kid and I wanted to know who won the game last night, I had to wait for the paper. Not <laughs> sure. that I'm that old, you know, yeah. but still. I did too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now my son is, he just, you know, in a second. Mm. So it, sometimes it's hard to instill the culture that we try to instill at the company that a customer is not to be maximized monetarily at every transaction. Mm. Uh, a customer is somebody to build a relationship with. And through that relationship and through kind of understanding their needs and how we can help them succeed, mm-hmm. that is how we monetize a customer through their success, not through a, a one transaction. Yeah. And I think I think in, in the world of business, that's kind of sometimes the outside perception. Business is one of the, the coolest areas, in my opinion, but I think sometimes to the general population who are maybe more in the corporate world or something else, the they think of these businesses as, you know, these, these like greed machines who are constantly just self-serving. And I think that when you pull that relationship aspect out, you can kind of see where they can get that opinion from. Oh, totally. You totally. know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we service machines. So we, our techs walk into a store, especially if they don't know us and it's our first interaction with them, we fall victim to the stereotype of every type of mechanic Mm. Uh, or service technician that that customer has ever come it's, in contact It's like an with. uphill battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they, if they got screwed by their auto mechanic yeah. or somebody or, or or HVAC or something in your house or a plumber, yeah. an electrician, twenty years they're, ago, they're going to be on top of it until the whole time. Totally. <laughs> you know, we have we we stand uh, to that stereotype, so we got to work that much harder to overcome and say, hey, this is who we are, mm. uh, and that's just the nature of the beast. That's yeah. the nature of the beast, but. Um, culture is very important in what we do. You know, it's, it's, we, we constantly bring people in and we try to instill in them the culture of the company. I want to make money because I'm a business and it's important, but I can't make money at the customer's expense. I have right. to make money, you know, the right way. And um, and I want to have fun doing it too. We're, we're selling ice cream. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a fun business. <laughs> I mean, people get into it as a fun business. Yeah, it's funny. In the last episode, we spoke about that, and it's it's funny because ice cream usually in some businesses you have like, okay, who's our who's our demographic? Mm-hmm. But with ice cream, it's one of like the um, 
things I can think of that's like, wow, you literally, it's everybody. Like your, your clientele is, is everybody. It's everybody. Yeah. It's everybody. Our clientele is everybody. I don't care if you had a bad day, you want an ice cream cone, make you feel better. If you had a good day, guess what? When I want ice cream. <laughs> so it, old, young, doesn't matter what color you are, what creed you are, you know, who you voted for. Everybody loves ice cream. Hmm. Uh, and everybody could use an ice cream machine. Yeah. I don't care what business you are. You know, if you, if you're sell, if you have a captive audience and you're in the food side or retail side, you can sell ice cream uh, and you can have fun doing it. Yeah. Maybe let's talk a little bit about the seasonality, like we alluded to before the episode and, and how, um, you know, what that looks like maybe in the, in the ice cream industry or the, the dessert equipment industry in general, and then maybe specifically for uh century. So our business is territorial. I mm-hmm. handle the Northeast region. We handle most of New Jersey through central PA and all of Delaware. So we're in Northeast region and in the Northeast region, there's seasons. Um, the colder it gets, the, a lot of our stores shut down. So I would say about 65% of our businesses that we service close down in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, my job when I kind of took ownership of the company was to look at how could we use seasonality as an advantage and not as a disadvantage. Sure. Um, first thing is, you know, we have to get some clients and customers who aren't necessarily seasonal. And that was getting into businesses that don't just make a living off ice cream, you know, where ice cream is a, is a, a part of their business, but not all of their business. Right. So not like a standalone shop, like a restaurant or yeah, something so a like restaurant that. who's adding ice cream sure. or a burger shop that wants to add milkshakes, you know, those type right. of businesses. Um, so we've gotten into that side of the business where we get those kind of clients. And the other thing was to use the time where we slow down as a break for our, our, our staff and our mm. customers and use it as, as a time to build the culture of the company. In the winter, in the off season, we try to do a lot of fun things in the company that we just don't have the time to do during the season in the spring and summer. Uh, we try to give back to the community. We try to have company events and parties. Uh, you know, we try to appreciate each other and all the sure. hard work we put in the spring and summer. So we recharge the batteries for the spring and summer. It, you know, you can't expect your staff to treat your customers right if you don't treat your staff right. Right. So um, it all, to me, it starts internally. And then externally, we can start to build those relationships with the customers. Because as an owner, how many people can I touch per day? right? Customers. But when I have five or six service techs out on the street and I have a receptionist answering the phone and I have parts managers and I have all the people within the company and you look at all the people they touch, you know, if we're all pulling in the same direction, then we've built all those relationships every day Hmm. rather than me just doing it. Right. So in the process of building this company, so um, when you were put into this position, what has been the biggest things. It seems to me that the, the idea of company culture mm-hmm. is really important these days. People want to, they want to, they understand that they're working for a paycheck, but they also want to be a part of something larger. They want to feel like they're having that impact as we kind of alluded to earlier. And when, as we alluded to earlier, when that ceases to be there, we kind of lose that connection to the company. We look for other opportunities where we can get that connection. Um, so in the process of this building and bringing on new employees, bringing on other family to, to um to be employed at this business, what core things um, do you look to to integrate, and how do you build that company culture? What so when I took over the company, and and it was a transition between when I came aboard, I worked uh, in delivery, and then moved to sales and and marketing, kind of where I live. Um, 
and I took ownership in 2014. And then subsequently, since then, uh, my uncle retired right then, and, and my dad is retired. Um, so I had to take it from kind of a two-owner company mm. to a one-owner company mm. and put systems in place that can run without me looking at it every time and, sure. and take the people that we had. And rather than have this job and put the person in the job and say, look, figure out, change who you are and run it this way the job. You know, I, I tried to look at it and say, when you have 12 to 15 people, the people dictate the success. So rather than pigeonholing them into a role, say, look, I need this as the job, but how do you want to do it? And understanding the strengths and weaknesses of that individual, sure. kind of changing the job to that person. Um, so in the end, it's it's when you look at culture, I think the most important part is the 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 employees and the people that work with me need to feel like they're part of the company, not just in the company for a paycheck. Mm. And it's hard to do. I, I I say this blatantly and I say it to the people that work with me. Look, you they could probably get more money working somewhere else, right? I mean, I think everybody can at some point. Mm. And when you're a family-owned business, you may not have the pocketbook that you know Fortune 500 companies have. Um, so every dollar matters a little bit more. So you look at what what people make. Um, I want people to feel like they're paid well. But most importantly, when I talk to my, my employees and ask them, they feel like they're valued. They feel like they can come to me and ask a question and come to me and make a suggestion. And right off the bat, it's implemented, hmm. if it makes sense. Um, so feeling like they have a voice, feeling like they have a place, feeling like they're part of something, that helps breed the culture that we need. Absolutely. Um, and like, uh, I can speak from personal experience, even in like, you know, small, like summer jobs and stuff that I used to have really working in an environment where you feel like you have some type of say in the direction of the company, maybe not in a huge way, but at least in, in some way, like I can maybe help turn this boat a little bit that goes, that goes, I think a lot farther than most employers would, um, initially think. Yeah. And it was funny because my dad and my uncle, they started the company, they worked in the seventies and they were young and they started the company. They were owners for so long. I think they forgot what it was like to be working for someone. Mm. And, uh, and I would tell them, Hey, look, you know, they, they, look, they really appreciate this. They really appreciate that. And they just didn't know because they were so far removed from being somebody who worked for somebody. And that kind of goes back to when I worked in, in the corporate world, me understanding that flip side of it and trying to implement what I liked and, and kind of move away from what I didn't like. So um, in, in the life cycle of any business, they're always looking to to grow in, in some way or another, um, either to bring on more employees, to help more businesses do what they do. Um, what, what has been some of the, the growth stuff that you guys have looked at as far as, it sounds like you guys are venturing into other areas and the, the service side of things. Are you constantly just looking to see, hey, where, where are the needs of our customers? What else can we be adding to our, our total package? Yeah, we had to change from being a, a reactive company to being a proactive company. That's one of the main things that you know, I wanted to do when I took over or even before I took over when I had a lot of say in some decisions. Uh, rather than just kind of take the business that was coming, we wanted to change to be able to be positioned to get more business, hmm. to get into and knock on the doors of somebody who does not just initially an ice cream store, right? And I mentioned yeah, that yeah, before. Yeah. Um, we wanted to add territory. We're territorial. So- there's distributors just like us throughout the country that 
necessarily not do what we all we do, but sell the line that we sell. And there's lines in the sand. So we wanted to grow our territory. Uh, but we needed to have the infrastructure to do that. Uh, we wanted, I wanted to look at put systems in place where we can understand if we add a service tech, what is the payback on that service tech? What is the, what is the um, return on investment for the people that we want to add? And bringing in more business helps uh, quicken that return on investment for sure. We wanted to understand uh, what's what's on a parts truck. What's how much inventory we have? We need systems in place. We put in parts systems to monitor this stuff um, to to make everything universal. So I mean, I could click a button and know exactly what I have in inventory. Um, so now it could be managed. Where before it was just hey, let's just order stuff, and 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 some of that is just the evolution of going becoming a little bit more of a modernized company. Mm-hmm. Um, but having that information allow us allowed us to maximize every department within the company, which allowed us to add infrastructure, which allowed us to go after new forms of business, but get more territory, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, we're looking at bringing in different lines of equipment to kind of fit what we do now and who we are don't take us too far away from our core because i think if if you just add things that aren't your core products and your core identity i don't really know if that ever adds to the bottom line per se yeah so i have a question here for you about infrastructure so you mentioned that you know at a certain point um things that may have worked for a while just as far as ordering parts and just okay you know bring them in and we'll we'll use them as we need mm-hmm. them um what was the the switch, I guess, that happened there as far as th- this is working in, 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 in some form or fashion, but it can definitely be better if we have it more more systematized. Where, where was the, the catalyst that made that change where you're like, hey, we have to do something to switch this over? Uh, just seeing the amount of waste that was going on, hmm. right? You know, we sell parts to customers for their equipment. Uh, these are these and to service the equipment. And when you see that you have 10 of a part that you changed three in the last five years, like, what are we doing? Mm. You know, why, why are we getting to this point? And a lot of it is because we just didn't have the systems in place to monitor it. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't human error per se. It was company process error. Mm. Once we put the systems in place that we can look at the data in real time and understand it in real time and understand what we've sold in the past. Yeah, I mean, it, it made it so simple. And then we, we, when, if we can extract every dollar and make the parts department that much more efficient, we could do the same thing in the service department. We could do the same thing in the sales department. Then we can really, really uh, be a, pro, as I said, get to a proactive state of doing business where we're, we're chasing the right business and we're going after the right business. And the better the company runs from a system standpoint, the happier your employees are. Because the the when systems aren't in place and everything's kind of a daily shit show per se, mm-hmm. the employees really suffer. And if the employees suffer, guess who else suffers? The customers. And the customers, I tell customers all the time when I tra- train them how to make products, and they have this really labor intensive Sunday, for example, and it's it's hard and it's difficult. And um, I said, well, what are you making on it? Like I don't know. Like. Well, Look, it's okay to be hard and difficult if it's profitable. <laughs> right. If it's not profitable, then being hard and difficult, it's it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and and then there's a there's a degree where the customer doesn't buy your process; they buy the finished product. 
So yeah, the process might be cumbersome, but if the product's worth it, it's worth it. But if we could figure out how to make the product worth it and, and make the product simple and easy internally, that's the win-win. Hmm. And that's the point we've, we've been able to get to in a lot of different aspects of the company. Yeah, because I, I was just thinking about the infrastructure thing for a second and some of the internal processes. And I think sometimes there's just excess fat, for lack of a better word, on some of these internal processes at businesses. And some of the people don't realize it. You know, money's coming in, but you don't really know how much more would be coming in had these things been slightly tweaked. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. In a way. Yeah. So I think that, you know, and then that might be just for one section and multiply that by the marketing department, by the sales department, you know what I mean? And that gets extrapolated across. And that could really be the difference between a successful and unsuccessful business. There's those in the margins. Oh, totally. It's, it's the margins get squeezed, right? We're a middleman per se. So we buy from a manufacturer, uh, we sell to the end user. So we, we can't just sell whatever we want. We had the market kind of dictates our price to a certain degree. Um, and the manufacturer dictates our cost hmm. to a certain degree. So we only have what's left over. So, the, the margins is really all we have. I I, I don't keep the revenue. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I only keep what's left. So I, I remember for years, my dad and my uncle would tell me you can't make money off service. And and to a point, they're tr it's true. We don't, service is not a money maker because we pay the technicians a lot. There's a lot of parts on the truck. There's gas, there's insurance, there's extras. Why? But if we can figure out a way to make service self-efficient and what we're bringing in and covers kind of what we're putting out, um, and some of the infrastructure internally for service, then that's the win-win, hmm. right? And, and to a degree, yes, yeah, service is a, is a slave to sales, right? We have to service the equipment to get sales. I remember during the COVID pandemic, we were, nobody was opening new stores. There weren't new ice cream stores opening up, hmm. really. But the ice cream business, my customers and, and the customers that we sell to had the best years they ever had. They had an influx of cash and capital for a variety of reasons, so they replaced old equipment, added equipment. And if we didn't have the relationship with those customers that they called us to replace and add, we would not have survived the COVID pandemic. Um, and we excelled in that pandemic because our customers excelled and because we had the relations with the relationships with them hmm. to be um, the source for their upgrades and, and their adding. Because I, I, we do need new businesses to open up, right? We need new ice cream stores, new dessert shops, new concepts that are going to use frozen desserts. But when it, the COVID was pretty eye-opening because nobody was opening to new concepts, but to have great years based off our existing customers just is a testament to the relationships we have with them. And that's really a testament to the people that work with them. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, I think ideally it's always good to have a business where you can kind of write your own destiny, so to speak. You can kind of manage, um, you have a say in the final product, the outcome of, of certain um, you know, business ventures, et cetera. Um, but you also mentioned that you know, it's a fun business. Ice cream is a fun business. And I, I can, from an outsider's perspective, it looks like a fun business. Yeah. So for you, what, what's, the, what's the most fun part about the business for you? What, what's, what's the fun part for you? Well, I mean, we're serving cool products. I mean, there's, I, I'm, I'm not, we're, we're, we're not making, uh, warheads. We're, we're making ice cream cones. Right? Yeah. I teach people how to make ice cream. It's, it's cool to see somebody who may have worked in a factory for, for 30 years or worked in the corporate world for 30 years and they retired and now they're making, uh, s'mores ice cream <laughs> Yeah, and, and it comes out of the machine and they did it and they put it in a tub and they eat it and it's, and, and 
it's funny when we do trainings, I have a test kitchen and we do trainings, mm-hmm. we teach people how to make ice cream and these products you're going to do in their store. A lot of times they'll bring their family in. Hmm. So here's somebody who worked in the corporate world for 30 years, left at 7.30 in the morning, got home at six o'clock at night, you know, finally retired, got out of the grind. And now their next business venture, they're bringing in their family to test the ice cream that they're making. Hmm. And that's just cool and rewarding from my standpoint to see. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I have people who sit across the table from me and they're like, well, I, I have an idea. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know what I want to do. And a year later, they're opening a store and they're successful. So, you know, here's somebody who just had some type of idea and we help them take that idea and that vision and open a business, which is going to provide for them and their family for X amount of years to come. And that's extremely rewarding. And we're doing it through desserts. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you have any empathy at all, that this business is pretty cool because you live through the reactions of your customers and their customers. And usually that's pretty happy. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. did you ever get tired of ice cream? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, my, my brother, he's a, he eats more ice cream than anybody I've ever met. But, um, what, uh, what's your, what's your favorite ice cream? I'm a milkshake guy. Milkshake guy. Milkshakes is the number one dessert for men. Really? Yes. Yes. Really? So, um, if, if, when I look at like a burger shop, right. I said, why don't you have milkshakes? They're like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Why, why would I have milkshakes? I said, well, look at, let's look at your demographic. That's super interesting. Yeah. Milkshakes is huge. What about, what about females? What's number one is for females? It, females will tend to, to look at, um, some of the perceived lower calorie products or, mm. but they, females are more universal. Like they'll eat hard ice cream. They'll eat soft ice cream. Got it. If you look at their splits on what they buy. It's always a small serving. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, but they don't, they're a little bit more, um, uh, like I said, universal in what they buy. Kind of got like a little more, uh, they, they try everything, but try a everything. little bit of everything, a little bit of everything, but they always get a small, like hmm. from a, from a percentage <laughs> standpoint. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Percentage standpoint. So what is it with, uh, I'm, I'm with you on the milkshakes. I, I love milkshakes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, uh, a cookies and cream milkshake. It's gotta be one, one of my favorite all time or, or just classic vanilla. Uh, how about you? What's what's your what's your favorite? I go, I, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. I go chocolate milkshake. Chocolate milkshake. Chocolate yeah, you milkshake. can't go wrong with that. But we've done like we've gotten involved with bars now doing booze milkshakes, booze yeah. milkshakes. Uh, we do frozen cocktails. We're starting to get into the frozen cocktail side of the it's world. It's a bi- big space right now. It is a big space, and I've always said Italian ice here in this market, in the Northeast market, is huge. Right? There's there's more Italian ice stores in probably five square miles of anywhere outside in Philly than there are yeah. in the rest of the country. Um, or I call it water ice. I grew up in Philly, so you got to call it water ice. But you, know, you venture out to Italian ice, which is fine. But I've always said it's liquid gold. I mean, it's water and sugar, and you're selling it for four bucks. Well, you add alcohol to that, which is only adding a few points, and you're selling it for twelve bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, even, it's even more profitable. So, um, yeah. So I guess that's one of the areas on your horizon. Then is you know how can we utilize this? How can this be a piece of our what we're offering now? Um, so, I mean, it seems like you guys do some, some decent market research as well, just to kind of, um, get a foothold for where the trajectory of the dessert business or the, the, the frozen beverage business in general is going. Yeah. And, um, a lot of customers are looking at frozen beverages more than they ever did. Hmm. We have the advantage where we service the, the shoreline. So there's a lot of opportunities there, ultra seasonal, but even non-shore stores, are getting into the frozen beverage side or frozen cocktail side. But we're also trying to, to do it a little differently. You know, we're doing 
uh, Frosés, which is more of a wine slush. Mm. We've sold those to catering halls and they upgrade. They just add it to a wedding package where you're, you're selling Frosé uh, for weddings. Uh, we've done, uh, there's a product called Dole Whip out there, which is, was made famous by Disney, but it's just taken over the market the last three, four years. And it's essentially, it's a fruit-based soft serve. So you add, you can add al alcohol to that. Mm. Um, we've done wineries that, that do that um, and restaurants that offer that as a product. So there's so many compliments to frozen desserts and alcohol uh, that it's tremendous. But it's funny, as you move one lane over, even if it's close to what you do, yeah. it's a whole new world. Hmm. So learning the, the key players, uh, the key components, because you know I mentioned how value-added we are, and, and we're so hesitant to just drop off a machine for people. We really want to understand how, to, how they're going to make it successful before we jump too deep into it. So we're still learning that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the profit potential and the product potential is cool. We're, we're always trying to innovate. And a lot of the innovation comes from customers that we see. And we take a little bit of customer A's innovation and customer B's innovation and, and down the line and and, and use it uh, to educate our customer base. Uh, but it's, it's, it's funny. Um, the frozen cocktail side, that's another thing that we never really touched. Hmm. You know, we never really sold milkshake machines years, years and years ago. And I always felt like, why are we not selling these? We have them in our line. Um, and it's, it's, you got to get past it. Well, nobody's buying it. Well, nobody's buying it because we're not pushing it. You know, and, and that's again, getting from the reactive to the proactive side. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is super interesting. The, it looks like the majority of stuff is the, the frozen beverages that you focus on now and ice cream. Um, what other, I guess, maybe let's go through the, the, the type of frozen beverages or the amount of frozen beverages that there are. I mean, you mentioned Frosé. I'm sure there's other ones that people aren't even familiar with. Like oh, well, your, your standard frozen cocktails, you have boozy shakes. Um, we, we set up uh, a ton of businesses with, and whether they're down the shore or they have a milkshake machine in their business. Hmm. Uh, we did a local bowling alley that has milkshakes, you know, and they have a little ice cream section. They have milkshakes and they have boozy shakes. So you know, they're selling more boozy shakes in a bowling alley than milkshakes out the other end. Uh, and then, then water ice. I mean, you, even within that, that category, you have, you know, a Polish ice, you have Italian. I'm guessing they're all Polish, Polish ice customer ours, and they're running uh, ice to a soft serve machine. So it's more of huh. a, more of a decadent sorbet type ice. Interesting. Um, there's probably a thousand Italian ice or water ice stores that we service here in the market. Right. And if you go to outside your chains, right, you're like a Rita's Italian ice, which is uniform. Um, if you go to the different stores, the, everybody will say, well, that, their ice is better than their ice. And it's funny to me because they're using the same machine. We taught them. They started with the same recipe. It's water, sugar, stabilizer, and flavoring. Mm. Why is it so different? Mm. <laughs> it's almost like pizza shops. You see pizza yeah, shops, yeah, everybody. Yeah. It's the same four or five ingredients, yeah. right? Um, but little differences and little changes make a big difference in the product. Um so, you know, as you watch the, 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 the tastes evolve and I look into the demographics of what the baby boomers want versus what the Gen Z's want, hmm. um, in the market, it's very, very different. What, what do the Gen Z's want? It's trendy, different, new. Hmm. Um, I, I remember I, I gave a seminar we do a lot of marketing with our customers. So, um, I remember years ago talking to people about vegan products and, you know, plant-based products. And I think it was like 2% of, or 1% of the market identified. And now it's you know, upwards of eight, 9% in wow. my business identifies vegan. So vegan products have taken off in these stores or non-dairy products even have taken off for our customers. And you're either 
catching up to that wave or you're ahead of that wave. And that's what we try to tell our customers. Like, yeah. you know, get ahead of it. There's so many different aspects of our business that and new products and things that come along or just kind of read in the tea leaves of what's going on in the world, even outside of the ice cream business that you can utilize to make your business better. Most of the business that you work with, do they typically just have like their staple products um, or are they, are they looking to constantly innovate as well? It's a hit and miss there. Right. So there's a segment of our business that these stores have been there 25, 30 years. They're just doing what they do. And then there's a new segment that's coming in, opening in the last five to 10 years that are constantly looking to innovate and bring in new products and do new things. I, I try to encourage my customers that you have to be ahead of the curve. If you walk into a diner, for example, and there's nothing but people, customers that are in their 70s and, and, and older, guess what? Sooner or later, those customers aren't going to be around. They're not going to be here on earth. You, you need to bring in younger customers into your business. The baby boomers will get the same thing. They'll get a hot bud Sunday every time. The Gen Zers and the millennials, they want something new. They want something different. They want something trendy. They care a little bit more about what they're putting into their body on a daily basis. Sure. Um, so a vegan product, a non-dairy product. Um, locally sourced products, homemade handcrafted ice cream or Italian ice, that's more important to them, right? We have to, as we said before, ice cream kind of is, is a blanket and covers yep. all demographics, but at the same time, those demographics want different things. Sure. And, and we have to be cognizant of that so we can um, maximize each demographic for our business. Sure. Um, yeah, maybe let's take a little break here real quick as we uh, sip on this. We got a, a single malt here. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Very good. Yeah. Very good. Are you, are you, are you a whiskey guy? I am a whiskey guy. Cheers. Cheers. Um, what, what do you, what do you look for in a whiskey typically? Uh, I like it. I like it smooth. I don't like anything too peaty. Mm. Uh, nothing too sweet, not, like maybe a little bit oaky, but mm. this is pretty good. Yeah. It's smooth. It's not too heavy. Usually I do it on the rocks. I'm drinking it neat and it's yeah. smooth, neat. Yeah. Which is even better. Yeah, I um, I'm a I'm a beer guy through and through. That's kind of my 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 first love. And then uh, I do a little bit of uh, dark red, dark red wine, dry. And then I like um, you know, a bourbon or uh, or a single malt, really depending on you know what it is. But I think I like some oakiness to it. I, I kind of like the the higher proofs too. I like to have to have some little bit of a yeah, uh, you know, some something there. You that's know what, what I, mean? I look, That's what I look like in the beers because I can't sit there and, and drink too many beers. Like yeah, it's too heavy for me. Yeah. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get my money's worth, I want to I want to have a high alcohol content. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you typically uh, gravitate towards in the, in the beer world? Um, nothing too heavy. Nothing yeah. too heavy. It's, uh, you know, I'd be surprised like these fruity beers that you, with some of the fruit infused beers, mm. I didn't think I would like it. But I remember we used to do this one place and they give you like a flight of beer. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're there with a couple different couples and they gave me the flight and I'm trying, I didn't even know what I was trying really. That was like, just surprised me. And those fruit infused beers are pretty good. You know, and pretty heavy too, but I, I won't, I won't take anything too dark, too mm. heavy, but I like something with a kick. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause I think, um, it, it's, it's like most things you get into. I think beer, beer is one of those things where people don't really realize how broad the breadth yeah. of beers and, and, and styles that there are, and even those sub styles, but I'm sure the same is true for you as far as some of the frozen dessert stuff. I mean, there, I'm sure there's other types of things that the average person has never had before, but it's, it's out there. You know, like you said before, taking the, um, Italian ice and, and putting it through like the soft serve machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that sounds really cool. I've never even 
seen that. And I'm like, okay, that where, where can I get that? Yeah. And you do little different things and they make a big difference in the end product, you know, just, just yeah. little, little changes. Little like like changes. what, what have you seen in that, uh, in that aspect? Well, like, um, like freak shakes, right? Milkshakes, freak shakes. We talked about milkshakes and there's these, there's this category called freak shakes where you're taking a milkshake and you're decorating the glass. You're, you're putting a donut uh, on top of it. <laughs> you're putting candy corn and candy canes and candy that, that that's the Gen Z for candy. you right there. Totally. It's Instagram yeah. friendly, right? And, right. And as we get into these Instagram friendly products and something that somebody could snap, I mean, you can't even consume that much of it, but you want people to know you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how does that, uh, how does that sit with you? Does that make it like, it seems at the end of the day, the purist would be like, I, I don't really, it doesn't even matter what it looks like. I just want it to be, to look, to, um, to taste awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's almost like now it's almost the reverse. It's like, even if it's not that great, it looks kind of cool. So I'm going to get it anyway. You know, I'm not too cocky. I'll, I'll look, I'll ask a customer, what's important to you? Do you want, you, you, they won't want to make money in the business, mm. right? But are you a purist that has the purest products and you product quality is all you care about? Or is it some people just want efficiency in their operation and some people want, I want, I want the buzz. Yeah. You know, yeah. And really the best businesses are a combination of everything. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, what is, what is leading the horse for that particular individual? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. There, there's so many things that can, that can happen in the marketing world now with, you know, you put out one picture like that and you have a donut on top of your milkshake. It's like, I mean, it might really get a foothold in the, in the local community. Yeah. I mean, and these Instagram friendly products, they're really not even the sales drivers. They're really just getting the buzz. Right. Right. Uh, and, you go you go to a bar and you look at what single malls they have and there's a list of, of 20 of them and yeah really yeah. in the end you know, there's a small subtle differences in the mall but they all get you to the same place yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely um and so I want to circle back with so in, in the process of of these dessert treats and, and building this business around these um, desserts what have been some of the biggest um I guess struggles or hardships? for a business in this position and how have you weathered those? How have you overcome those to be in a stronger position you are today than you were five years ago or the 10 years before that? So maybe just speak to for people who are out there who might be interested in, I have a business right now and I'm going through some hard pieces, You know how you weather those storms as they will inevitably come at one point or another. Well, um, from my business standpoint, the, the access to capital is always important for us because for our customers, because the machines I sell are, are 10, 15, 20, 30, 35,000. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're not inexpensive in regard. So, you know, having them have access to capital so they can invest in their business or for their business is very important. Um, I think that the last three years have been very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like a case study in understanding, uh, how to, how to do business. I mean, what do you do if, if the world takes away your ability to sell to your customers traditionally sure. the way you've sold it, you know, it, it's very difficult. Um, so understanding that uh, there's always going to be challenges in, in the daily realm of when you own a business, but you have to have the infrastructure, you have to have the reputation to be able to deal with those challenges. And you have to have the flexibility to change on a dime. Hmm. I mean, we go back to, the corporate mindset of, of being able to change and adapt versus the small business mindset. I can't tell you how many, much many of my customers used to be walking ice cream stores. And when COVID hit, they, they flipped, people couldn't come in. So they, they cut out a window, they opened up a window and did takeout only and were able to survive and, mm -hmm. and flourish during the pandemic, uh, during the height of the pandemic. 
And that's really a testament to being able to adapt for small business. For years, I used to encourage my customers to get into third-party delivery services, your Grubhub, your DoorDash, you know, all, the, all those different. Like, well, I can't, I can't. It's ice cream. It'll melt. Well, well hot food gets cold. <laughs> cold food gets hot. You know? yeah. Don't say you can't do it. Let's figure out a way to do it. Um, and then the pandemic, people had to do these services because that's the only way that some of them could get their product to customers. And now, I mean, it's, a, it's an unbelievable source of revenue for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really just the, the, the ability to kind of be able to adapt to the market and to the changes and, and utilize um, your business and, and uh, figure out a way to adapt to take those changes for success. Um, the other, other flip side of that coin is how about the success side? So are there any things that, that you either implemented in your business were able to, to add to the overall experience that really was able to catapult your business into a whole other echelon of, of being able to service your customers? Uh, I think that uh, through our marketing, hmm. we really did it. Uh, we've always, we always had a web. When I, when I came onto the company in uh, mid-2000s, we didn't even have a website. That's crazy. You, th- you think about it now. Yeah. Like, That's crazy, right? Um. I mean, back then it wasn't that crazy. So we, we started with a website. Uh, we we survive off lead generation, right? And how do we generate leads? How do we generate business? Well, it's through our vendors, through our existing customers, through you know reputation. But we also have to get leads somewhere else. There's no more yellow pages. I mean, for years, my dad and my uncle were like, oh, we have to go on the yellow pages again. I'm like, guys, the yellow pages are done. You know, when they <laughs> drop that off on my front porch, I literally yeah. take it and take it. Throw it in the trash. I throw it in the trash. Uh, <laughs> but that's what they always did. So that's, you know, we had to get away from that mindset. And all our all our marketing is done online. So we, we took from right, not having a website to we have a website. Now we do blogs. Uh, we do video series on three-minute tips where we go in and we kind of just talk about industry tips for a couple minutes. We have newsletters. Uh with which feature uh, offers and tips and our blog and, and those, and we have recipes where we do online recipes where we show people how to make these different things. So all our leads are generated through our online presence. And that's really catapulted us. Hmm. It's really cool when you go to see a customer for the first time and they're like, Oh, I watched all your videos, you know, the last couple of days, I know you. <laughs> I'm like, I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it just, it breaks down the barrier yeah. and and it gives them confidence that we know what the heck we're talking about. Mm. And that's that's really skyrocketed our our reputation, our exposure, and our lead generation. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, even putting those videos out or um, other types of content to provide value to your potential customers before they're even customers. You know what I mean? Like that stuff's huge. And sometimes people are like, oh, it's a waste of time. But it's like, no, that's really, you're investing in the future of your company by doing that. You're 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 built. You're pushing and you're injecting life into these people who who need some of that content fuel, for lack of a better term, for to to do their business. If you can get them a few free videos on how to make their ice cream slightly better and that helps their business, then I mean that that's a that's a door opener for you right there. Yeah, I mean, they call me and they're asking about, hey, I want to open an ice cream business, and I'm just a, a a name on the other side of the phone. You know, they're going to spend fifteen twenty thousand, maybe you know, after a while, but if they go online and see our website and see our customers and hear testimonials and see us make product and see us give tips and read our blogs at the same point, now they have confidence in us. Sure. And they understand that we know what the heck we're doing and we we've done it before. And, and if I'm opening a business, I want to deal with somebody who's helped 
people before hmm. and, and know what they're doing. Right, right. Uh, and there are some people who want to buy a machine online and and that's they think they could do it. And I tell them straight out. I'm like, if you think you're going to open a business and buy an ice cream machine online and be successful, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and I don't say that to be cocky. It's because I've seen it not work hmm. uh, because you don't need just a machine. You need a partner that's going to be invested in your success. Hmm. And that's the extra stuff that we do to help our people. So um, after all this process of, we talked about, you know, lots of different facets of the business. What is your vision for Century going forward? What is it that you want to this business to be in the next five, 10, 30 years? Um, and you know, what, what, what key components um, do you want to have in, in that vision? Uh, that's a good question. So I, I would, the, the last three years have been a, um, an interesting, I, I said before, case study, right? Because we were kind of firing at all cylinders and then COVID hit. And now we're like, well, we, you know, now we're, we're, we're as proactive as we can. And now we're like reacting to this, this COVID thing. Um, and then we get through COVID and we're super successful and our customers are super successful. We have a lot of confidence. And then we hit the supply chain snag where, you know, machines used to take six weeks. Now they take six months. So I think every time we try to get momentum, uh, there's something that happens. And then, you know, through it all, I realized that guess what? Something's always going to happen. You right. Know, you can't let that slow your momentum. You can't let that stop. You like, can't let it, let it, let it uh, deter you. You have to continue to fight through it. You have to use what's going on in the market, learn the rules of the game, figure out how to play and keep moving. So from the point of our company, uh, I think number one is, you know, we look to acquire more territory when you're territorial, um, you, acquiring more territory is going to help you, but you have to be able to acquire smartly. You can't just grab it and, and not, not take it because to me, sure. it's, it's all about market share within a territory. Mm -hmm. Um, we have to have a high market share within the territory, uh, because we live and die by reputation. Um, the other thing is we need to look at other facets of businesses that we can sell equipment to frozen cocktails. Uh, milkshakes, you know, people using ice cream as kind of a secondary uh, part of what they're doing. Uh, you know, like the, the place I mentioned right across the street, you yeah. know, they don't, they're not an ice cream store. They just have yeah, an yeah. ice cream component. Um, years ago, that's not something, somebody we would have looked at and we do now. Um, and then the other thing is look at is, is there, is there, are there other ways for us to kind of make money through our consultation? You know, we're looking at some, some online uh, things that we can develop for customers where we can kind of have a business community for, for dessert users that look, we want to monetize it at a certain point, but we also want it to be educational and inf informational, maybe not monetize it through the consumer, but monetize it through other ways. So that's something we're looking at as well. Yeah. Um, it's always interesting because whenever I have these conversations with, with business owners, you know, you kind of have like your, your bread and butter of mm -hmm. The primary driver of the business. Then over time, you start to add these other pieces of the business that either the customers want or you you know they provide value in other ways. But it's really cool seeing these steps that a business takes in its evolution. I think some people um, in the inception of a business, they think I'm going to be doing the same thing forever for 50 years. But you know that that growth, that that ability to adapt, is is really the whole game. Like in a business, you're solving problems, and over time certain problems get solved and other ones will continue to evolve and create new problems. Yeah. So you really kind of have to just keep adjusting. I guess that's kind of why business is kind of a, 
um, it's a, it's a tough game at the end of the day, because you kind of have to always be on your toes with what's coming next. How can I prevent, um, you know, other, um, competition for coming in and wiping me out. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, very, we're, it's we're very versatile. Boat, we're a boat on the water, right? And every day there's a little dam. There's a little, there's a little, uh, little hole in the boat. We got to right, plug, yeah, pl- plug it up. Yeah. And the trick is where I want to get to is, and where we started to get to is where we anticipate where those holes are going to come more patching it before it starts mm-hmm. to fill the boat with water. Right. And, uh, that's, that's the important aspect of it. And you kind of feel it in the seasonal business, once February hits, it's like, all right, here we go. We all, all systems go and we can't do anything. We can't change anything. Well, no, no, we, we still have to be able to adapt and change and mm-hmm. grow even during our busiest of times. We can't just wait for the slow times to go. Yeah. I think, I think that's the biggest key at the end of the day. It's like, you know, we're, and not only are you solving those problems, but as you grow as an organization, you also have other leaks spring in internally. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, we need to adjust this internal process because this is no longer working. So it's like you're in the business to solve a problem, but then you have other problems that organically arise in your own business that you have to plug and play with too. Yeah. I mean, COVID, again, I use it as an example. Again, COVID not only affected the marketplace, it affected the supply chain. It also affected your your internal infrastructure. Absolutely. It's like one person gets COVID. How do we handle this? Now we lost three people. So, you know, these people are out. It was, it was an all encompassing problem. Um, and then, you know, you worry about your, the, the people from a, from a health and life standpoint, you know, we unfortunately lost one of our employees to COVID. Um, mm. so it hit home very hard for us. Uh, but again, it's like, how do we adapt to it? How do we adapt the business to it? And I think I can't do it myself as an owner. I think we, as an owner, my job is to create a culture where every problem we have as a company, we have. 14, 15 people looking at a solution, not just one person looking at it. And the most successful companies to me have everybody involved in pulling towards that success. Is there, um, I know as, as an owner, you kind of have your hand in a bunch of different buckets at all times doing different things. And um, either if you're not working directly on that problem, you're interfacing with the person who is working directly on that problem. So are, are there any parts of your your, your business that um, you you don't like working on? Um, it's kind of an interesting question because I, I think sometimes we, we tend to focus on the areas that we like and it's, it's about that, but it's also like, there's parts of owning a business that aren't easy or you might not necessarily like them all, but, um, I don't know for you, are there pieces that stand out that, you know, um, aren't your favorite, I guess. I mean, I guess if I had to pick something, the human resources side of, of it is, yeah, is, is kind of a pain, you know, the, the health insurance side, you know, that, that, the, the the business side of the business is always enjoyable to me. Like I yes. like the challenges. I like understanding that, but just the, I, I call it the fringe things that you have to do. You know, yeah. The insurance thing. I mean, I even, I, I don't mind talking to people about their wages and raises and things like that. I, I really like doing that with, mm-hmm. with, with the people that work with me. Um, but that human resources, yeah, a lot, stuff, lot of administration, insurance, yeah. the administrative stuff is a pain. Yeah. You know? I, I feel that for sure. <laughs> I feel that. Um, so, um, towards, towards the end here, we like kind of like to do a, a quick question round where we kind of run through just some quick questions and mm-hmm. have you fire off an answer that, that comes to top of mind. But, sure. um, so first one is what's the coolest thing that you've seen lately? And that could be either in your business or, or, or just in general. Uh, I think the, the booze shakes are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's a guy who likes do, shakes. Is and- that with all people just use grain alcohol for those? Or are those yeah. pretty much any, I mean, any alcohol really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd be surprised the, you, what I learned most about it is 
the different types of alcohol that are out there. Like I yeah. never knew that there was uh vanilla cream vodka, hmm. you know, vanilla whipped cream vodka out there. And yeah. so I started looking like even some of the new whiskeys, like peanut butter whiskey and chocolate. Oh, yeah, whiskey. yeah, like the screwball. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that stuff's awesome. And when you mix it with a milkshake and peanut butter milkshake, it's even better. It seems like that. That's like your, that could be your, um, you know, sing, single malt and chocolate. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that stuff's really cool. That's yeah. really cool. Cause it's cool from a consumption standpoint. It's cool from a, from a, a visual standpoint. Yeah. And it's cool from a business standpoint. Yeah. So it checks all boxes. That's awesome. Um, what what tools uh, that do you use that are the most important? Like that you couldn't live without either a software tool or a, a physical tool that helps with the some of the repairs. But what's what's the um, I guess the tool that you couldn't really live without? Uh, well, we have a service system which which really integrates our parts and our inventory and our management. So that's it's really really important to what we do. And I got to tell you, like um, my iPad, hmm. you know, or so we use tablets too. Um, it's amazing, right? Because when I go meet a customer and I want to show them a machine, you know, before it used to be, oh, here's a spec sheet. And it's just this 2D non-real thing. And I'm like, and by the way, this this piece of paper where it has a picture on it, you know, this picture is worth $30,000 it's going to cost you. But now when you can show people a machine, show them a video and it's actually producing product and they can watch it and, and mm. look at it, it just breaks down that barrier. Mm. It's so much harder to get people to come into my showroom and see equipment. You know, they, yeah. it's, it's, they just, it's not the way it used to be. And they used to travel and come see it, but the internet has created uh, a lot of information for people and they feel like that's where they want to go for it. And they're very reluctant to, to come into the mm. office. So a lot of times I'm going to them. Right. So bringing kind of the showroom to them through some of this technology that we have has really been valuable. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, through this whole uh, pandemic stuff, it seems like uh, people just are more reluctant to to travel, it seems. You know what I mean? In Not general. Right. Yeah, even pre-pandemic. Right? <laughs> yeah. So people just didn't want to come in. I Interesting. Mean, they, they're just like, well, send me an email or I did all my research online and I'm like, okay, well, you know, you're you're going to spend a few hundred thousand dollars to open this business, and you know, you don't you don't want to meet. Okay, well, I mean, somewhat it's a little bit of a qualifier, but at the same time, it's like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so what um, what are the most transformational changes that you are seeking to make in the next ninety days, and that could be both personally and and professionally. So, um, professionally, uh. You know, over the next 90 days, it's an interesting time for us because we do kind of a lot of uh, soul seeking on the season and what we learn sure, from yeah. it. Uh, so really kind of meeting individually with the team and the staff and getting some input from them um, on on the season and then implementing some changes that we want to do over the course of the next year is important. Uh, we use the, the, the slower season to kind of catch our breath. And even though I talk to the team fairly often, I don't talk to the service techs as much because sometimes I'm on the road and they're on the road. So I see them in passing. So getting to spend some time with them. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, personally, uh, look, I believe in balance. I, I believe in a work-life balance. And I believe that for myself and I believe that for my staff. Uh, I, I don't think it's healthy or wise or smart to just be 100% business or 100% the other way. So uh, you know, spending time with my family over the course of the, the off season and, and is very, very important to help provide that balance. Personally. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and then finally, what, what is your favorite beverage? I think we answered this earlier with, uh, Oh, it's milkshake. Okay. Milkshake. <laughs> I mean, if I could, if it was healthy enough and I, I, 
I wouldn't have diabetes or something else. I would drink a milkshake every day. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you, do you have milkshakes? Um, you know, once every couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, my family, we're, we're, we like ice cream and treats. So, you know, my family will get ice cream every day. If, if they yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, we're probably twice a week family and, you know, once in, I'll, I'll, cause a milkshake, you know, 24 ounces of ice cream, you got to watch. Yeah. You know, before I turned 40, I could have a milkshake a week. Then as soon as I turned 40, it was like, forget about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I hear you. I, I love milkshakes. I can't even actually, I'm trying to think the last time I had a milkshake. I think I had like a, um, like a Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. they, have, they have, they have decent milkshakes. What's yeah. your opinion on Chick-fil-A milkshakes? They're good. I mean, they're, they're a lot, very sweet. Very yeah. Sweet, very sweet. Do you like them less sweet? Um, yeah, like I, their their milkshakes, like their peach milkshake, is kind of their claim to fame. Hmm. That just isn't my type of milkshake. I'm more okay. of a of a decadent, you know, chocolate. Got it. You know, type yeah. of guy that I want those type of flavors. So, even though it's decent, it wouldn't won't be my milkshake of choice. Yeah, I guess you know, you guys have some fun market research. You gotta get a you know, go around and and try a bunch of stuff. And <laughs> yeah, just twist my arm. <laughs> twist my arm. But the uh, you know the ices and. And look, there's so many different products that we can sell and, and the people consume. And when you talk to somebody, you know, I was in a bakery the other day and they're like, well, I don't know. I want to do something. I'm like, well, you need to do ice cream cakes. Like you do cakes now. They're fantastic. But you do ice cream cakes right now. If somebody wants an ice cream cake, you know, there a lot of them are just going to the supermarket and getting that processed Carvel, Carvel cake, which yeah. isn't bad. I mean, Carvel is a customer, but yeah, you know, they're made 40 40 days ago and shipped and frozen. Yeah. Um, you can make fresh homemade ice cream cakes and just blow it out the water. Yeah. Um, so just kind of looking at those opportunities for customers and looking at the different types of ways that our products can be used for their business. Sure. That's really fun. Yeah. That does sound fun. Yeah. Um, the, the other question that's when in the back of my mind, and it was one of the most, uh, I don't know, it was kind of burning a hole for a couple of days. And I wanted to really ask this was, so, you know, you go to like McDonald's mm -hmm. and the ice cream machine. And inevitably, it's it's down. Mm -hmm. I guess what, what's what's the what's the, the story there? What 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 is the problem with McDonald's ice cream machines in particular? It's like why why do they tend to be down all the time? It's not my brand. There you go. <laughs> it's not. And so it's I'm not guessing that, that stuff is very brand dependent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, look. You have to have equipment that's fairly simple to use and operate, mm -hmm. um, while being uh, sophisticated enough to provide the type of product and output that these stores need uh, the people that work in a lot of ice cream stores, they're kids, they're young kids. And a lot of them, it's their first job. It's the first time they've ever done anything. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say there's about four or five brands of ice cream machines out there. And I will proudly say that our brand is the best out there. Not because I'm biased because it's true, mm. you know, from a quality standpoint, from a product quality standpoint, I'm able to know that I sell the best piece of equipment. And if you couple that with what we do as a company, it's a win-win. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then McDonald's, I use it all the time. I'm like, look, you want to go to McDonald's and get ice cream? Just look. I mean, there's websites dedicated <laughs> to how much their machines are, <laughs> are down. And it wouldn't happen if it was our brand. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, Rob, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate you coming out, spending some time and uh, getting to learn to know about your business. But um, for anybody who's listening out there, um, let the people know if there's any final thoughts that you have or anything you want to plug social media or anything like that. Uh, the next uh, minute or so is yours. Yeah. I, I would say just check us out online, centuryequipment.net, S-E-N-T-R-Y equipment.net. Uh, there's a bevy of information out there. And I'll say like, if you, if you have any type of food retail business or business where you're selling to those type of products, 
look into desserts. Um, it's not just your traditional ice cream cones. I mean, we have so many customers making a lot of money and increasing their business to a profit center mm. of frozen desserts. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's fun. We can help you develop it. We can help you understand it. And if it works and it makes sense, you do it. And if it doesn't, you don't. Um, but I just enjoy kind of exploring people's businesses and understanding if there's a fit. Uh, and I just also want to, you know, a shout out to kind of the people that help make my company possible, which are the people that work with me on a daily basis. They, they really make my job easier. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank, thanks, thanks for coming for, on. Thanks for the time. It was fun to talk about the business and, uh, and certainly do it while I'm, I'm having some of this blue common is good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms. And you'll get notifications whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us, our email is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us, it's Instagram at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Sobosinski, and you've been listening to Leverage and Beverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time. <laughs>